All right, family, uh, we're back in the Gospel according to Mark. If you're brand new, we're tackling the entire book because when we go for something, we go all the way. Uh, we are in Mark 2.13. That's big number two, little number 13. Second book of the New Testament, big number two, little number 13. We have the privilege today of tackling one of the most scandalous passages in all of the Bible. I'm going to teach you a new word. It's scandalicious, which means it's deliciously scandalous. This message, this message from Jesus is deliciously scandalous because the entire culture, the entire nation of Israel is looking at God a certain way, saying, if I want to respond to God, here's how it looks. If I want to love God, here's how it looks. If I want to fear God, here's how it looks. If I want to come with an offering to God, here's how it looks. If I want to follow the laws of God, then I will earn this right standing before him and he'll love me back. And the entire nation of Israel and the surrounding nations are going, okay, this is what it means to love this this God that we talk about all the time. And Jesus is going to drop a scandalous message right in the middle of that. You ever ever met Actually Guy? There's Actually Guy in every meeting. Uh, If you watch The Office, his name is Oscar. Um, and if you don't watch The Office, it's just the guy in the middle of the meeting that actually, it's 2.3 units of measurement. And you're like, okay, actually, guy, thank you for that. Jesus is going to drop the biggest actually right into the middle of this culture and this nation. He said, actually, you're, you have it flipped. You have it all backwards. The way that you're relating to God is all backwards. And it's going to be a scandal to most people here. But to Jesus, it's going to be the gospel. Will you pray with me as we study that gospel as we do every Sunday? And Jesus, uh, Jesus, we ask that you would be here this morning. We ask that you would be present. We ask that we would be clear about who you are, how you love us, and how we love you back. We pray for all the scandal to come into this room uh, so that we don't flip this gospel backwards, upside down, so we don't follow you in the wrong way. We want to follow you for your gospel, your truth. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. All right, here we go, verse by verse. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowds, uh, all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Uh, just so you know, Jesus is probably the most famous people in the nation right now. He's the most famous person in the nation right here, right now. Uh, they want to see him heal. They want to see him do a miracle. They want to see him preach. They want to see him cast out a demon. And so they're following him everywhere that he goes. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. We're going to know him as Matthew, the disciple sitting in a tax booth. Now, this is confusing to us because we don't have, like, an IRS booth where we go to settle our quarterlies, and that's kind of what we're picturing here, and it's just not the case. Okay, this tax booth, we've got to look at it more of like a toll booth, a customs booth. Uh, Matthew is probably in charge of this section of the district. He's working for a certain Herod that we'll talk about later. And he said to him, follow me, and he rose and he followed him. And as he reclined at his table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners, they just grouped them all into one big group, sinners, and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Scandalicious, okay? I want you to think back to the middle school lunch table. The disastrous social politics of the middle school lunch table. The nightmarish politics of the middle school lunch table. 
Who you sat with is who you chose to identify with, right? There was a band table. There was a jock table. There was a nerdy, whatever, whatever it was. There was all sorts of tables. And you're just walking up to these tables going, am I accepted at this table, please? Have I gone through enough puberty? Uh, like, what, what's, am I okay to sit here? Am I cool enough? Am I dressed okay? Just the nightmarish politics. You all remember this. This is very similar here. It's out in the open. This is a very public scene. And Jesus sits down with tax collectors and sinners. Now, this is scandalous because there's these guys named the Pharisees. We're going to talk about the Pharisees all day, so I, w- I want you to know who they are. They're the religious elites, uh, the people who believe that they, they have cornered the way to reach righteousness with God. Right? They're the ones who have reached justification with God. They stand before God, and they're the best, and, and when heaven comes, they're going to have the big mansions, and everybody else is going to be living in a 300-square-foot flat in Newark, all right? No offense to Newark, but you're not Jersey City. Like, so this is where, if you're really righteous, you're one of these pharisaical people, you're a Pharisee, uh, and, and they've come up with all these laws, uh, and, and if you don't follow these laws, then you're not as good as them. All right, so, so let me lay out why this is a scandal one more time. So, Basically, and, and this is really the, the, the paradigm of the day, if you followed the Old Testament law and the additional laws that the Pharisees came up with, you are righteous. Now, righteous just means right with, okay? Righteous just means right with God. So if you do it this way and they added on like 45 laws for how you eat and you eat with this type of fork and you can't eat with this type of person and on the Sabbath you can't tie your shoe and you can't pick up a loaf of bread, you can't do any of this stuff, they come up with all these other laws. So if you follow the Old Testament law and you follow this law that they've created, then you are in right standing before God. Some of us still live that way today, right? Some of us feel this right now. This is how we live before God. If we, if we operate this way, then God loves us. If we don't operate this way, then God does not love us. It's a very simple system. We function inside of it uh, when it comes to parenting. We function inside of it when it comes to our job. Do good, get favor. Don't do good, don't get favor. And Jesus is going to take this philosophy or this paradigm and he's going to light it on fire in front of them. And then Goodwill Hunting style, Matt Damon style, he's going to drop one line on them. I love this line. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You like apples? How about them apples, right? Now, before you drink the haterade on the the Pharisees here, ask yourself if you've sunken into this paradigm. Ask yourself, what's my bedrock of faith? What's my measurement of righteousness? Because for me, I'm reading this passage, I'm like, oh, those Pharisees. And then I find myself throughout the week earning my own righteousness before God and before people. I don't know if any of you are in the same spot. And you may say, well, Justin, I've been a Christian for a long time. I know that I'm saved by grace through faith. Look, just because you have theology does not mean you have practice. I'm asking about your practice, your feelings, your innards. Just because you have theology does not mean you have practice. Like, I have an ology about how to put in an IV uh, because I watch a lot of hospital shows and my wife is a nurse, but that does not mean you want me to start your morphine drip. Right? That could go very poorly. Just because you have theology does not mean you have practice. I'm asking, what's your practice? What's the method of your soul? When you come to God, 
Are you saying, this is the righteousness I offer, do you love me? When you're questioning your value, when you're questioning your purpose, are you saying, this is what I bring to the table, God, do you love me? When you look at other people and you judge them for their lifestyle or for their sin or for for what they do with their money or for how they treat their relationships, are you looking at them with your own righteousness in mind and saying, come on, you're not as as righteous as me. Just think about it. What what paradigm are you actually, what's the bedrock of your faith? Because for me, I'm thinking most of us are living in this pharisaical context with the Pharisees and we're thinking that we're, we're not like that. And if Jesus walked into this room today and he sat with who he wanted to sit with and ate with who he wanted to eat with, I think we'd be like, Jesus, what, well, what about me? I did all the right things this week. But Jesus, did, did you see that I, I barely sinned? I mean, I sinned a couple times. I, I barely sinned. I read my Bible twice and I helped out in kids' ministry. That's like an eight for me. It was a good week. How come you're not eating with me? I think many of us live in this context where we bring our righteousness in hand. And we say, Jesus, this is what I have to offer. Is it good enough? And we wonder why our soul is unhealthy. We wonder why we're overburdened. We wonder why we're judging people all around us. Because we come with our hands full. I, I don't want to offend Canadians this week. I've prayed all week. Please, God, don't let me offend Canadians. And I also prayed, just let there be like two in the room. Uh, and hopefully I can talk to them afterwards. So they don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I love Canada people. I just don't love Canada. And I've only been there once, and it may be very fantastic, okay? I don't know. But the one time I went, I said, I'm not going back. It's over. Uh, let, me, let me tell you about my experience. And I love you, Canada people. Let's just lay that out. That's, that's the bedrock of this conversation, okay? Uh, but I, we went to Canada. We, we had to go from West Michigan to Binghamton, New York. And so the best way to get there is actually through Canada. It's to go up and over. It's only about nine and a half hours that way. So we're like, okay, that's a great route. Uh, and, and we could stop at Niagara Falls. Oh, fun family trip. Look, when you have three, there's no fun family trip. Unless you like screaming, Cheetos being pressed into the carpet, and then them mad at you because they pressed the Cheeto into the carpet. Unless you like that, there is no pleasant trip. So my wife and I, we used to travel through the night, right? And we used to just try not to talk too much to each other because at that point you're so cranky. Like if someone says the sky is blue, you get angry at each other. So we just travel through the night very quietly and we think, okay, at least Canada is going to be pleasant, right? They just don't seem like a hostile country. I, have they ever been in a war? I don't think so. You don't hear about violence. I don't even know if they have a leader. Uh, do they have a leader? I don't even know. It's clearly not a bunch of scandals and so that's kind of nice. Uh, their, their symbol of intimidation is a leaf on their flag and so they're just not... They're very nice people, it seems. And so we're going to Canada thinking this is going to be a very peaceful experience. And what do we have in our hands? We have a passport and some money. This is what I'm bringing to this country. This should be all that I need. We come up to the toll booth. It's 3 a.m. We're just trying to be quiet. Uh, And the gentleman says to us, "Uh, actually, you need Canadian currency. Uh, And for me, I, I just, I felt very New York in that moment. I said, why? Like, there's cars behind me. Everybody else is cranky, too. Why? And he said, well, that's, that's all we take here. And for me, I'm thinking, like, your left foot is probably in the United States. Like, you're at the border. Take both. You know what I mean? So I'm not, I'm not trying to argue. Anna's like, shh. I'm like, okay, all right, all right. It's fine. It's fine. What do I do? He says, pull over, and you can go and, and exchange your currency. All right? Which, which sounds nice. But it's about a half mile away. So I'm running through Canada, 
It's four degrees. I'm murmuring. I don't like Canada already. I, I finally get the money. I come back. I think, you know what? We'll just get a, a good night's sleep. So we pull over Flea Ridden Hotel because I am cheap. Uh, and we sleep for five hours. We're both super cranky. But there's always one thing. There's two things. Jesus. But there's one thing that can fix the crankies. And it's breakfast food. I think, let's go to, let's go to IHOP. Everything will be okay. Stack of pan- panquecas, right? And, uh, and, and some, some sides, you know? You guys, you guys feel this way. Just feel me on the human level. This is how I feel. Just give me a stack. We sit down at IHOP. A stack of pancakes and some sides were $24. I said, we're out of here. We're up and we're out. My wife was like, just, let's just pay the money. I'm like, no, it's the principal. And we're leaving and we get out of Canada. We're, we're both, we're all hungry. We're tired. We're angry. And I said to myself in that moment, I'm never going to Canada again. Okay? <laughs> I'm weird, guys. Let's just, just live with it. But here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. Let me just go into this country. Here's what I have to offer. Let me step across the border into this kingdom. Here's what I have to offer. Money and a passport. It should be enough. I should be received into this kingdom. In theory. Now, I, I make fun of our neighbors to the north, but I want to take a serious note here, a serious turn here, and, and here's my serious turn. Uh, I think we come with the wrong things in our hands to Jesus. And if I may make a bold statement, I think we're actually too righteous for Jesus. And I don't even think we would be sitting at the same table as Jesus unless we get this correct, this paradigm. Right now we have it flipped. Right now we're living in this idea like, uh, I need to bring this to the table. I need to bring this amount of righteousness to the table. I need to bring this level of sin I can do this sin, but I can't do this sin. Or that person over there, they fit in a a different sin classification. And so Jesus doesn't love them. Their sin is habitual compared to mine, which is just one time, and then I get rid of it. And we we start to bring, we start to walk ourselves through our own righteousness before Jesus, and we bring our our hands full of righteousness before Jesus, and we say, "This this is how righteous I am. And I think we would be shocked if Jesus walked into the room today and said, No, 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 this is actually who I love. This is how to earn love in front of me. So let's let's just agree that we have it flipped, and let's pray. I realize we're kind of in the middle of the message, and praying in the middle of is weird, but let's pray again, and let's ask God to flip it back, okay? God, we ask that we would would flip this back today. Can you help us reflip this? Can you help us get this right? In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's go back and let's, let's try to flip it back, okay? He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. Now, this is crazy. Levi, again, soon to be known as Matthew the disciple to many of us, would be stationed in Galilee, uh, probably working under Herod Antipas. And he's probably here to collect tolls and goods uh, and imposts. It's probably his district. He's in charge of this district. And his crew is renowned for taking too much. His crew is renowned for digging through your stuff. Uh, This is an ancient biographer. His name is Plutarch. We're annoyed and displeased with customs officials. Like these people are some of the dirtiest people morally in all the land. 
Not when they pick up those articles which we are importing openly, but when in the search for concealed goods, they pry into the baggage and merchandise which are another's property. So this is Matthew. Matthew's the guy that digs through your stuff. You didn't welcome him to, but he's just, he's just living off the land. Herod gave him the authority. And so he's just digging through your stuff, taking what he wants to take, being who he wants to be, taking way too much. I thought it was 10 cents. No, it's actually 10 times 10 because I'm making that up today. It's a Tuesday and I feel like I want to take more from you. He's a part of this crew that's just taking way too much from people. And it's actually his identity. I need you to get this. It's, it's his identity to require something of you to get into his kingdom. You feel that? Because some of us have a job and some of us have an identity. Like some of us have a job, we go nine to five and then we go home and really our identity is who we are at home and, and what we do and where we vacation. It's not really wrapped up in our nine to five. We put our nine to five in a folder, we close it and we go home. Others of us have, have identity jobs where it's like, oh, that's the person, the policeman. It's like an identity to them, right? To, to, to him, it's an identity. His identity is that I require something of you to have my favor and make it into my kingdom. In other words, he is physically who the Pharisees are spiritually. He is physically who the, who the Pharisees are spiritually. He requires something of you in order to get into his kingdom. And then Jesus walks up to him. Catch this. Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. That's it. He doesn't require anything. And Matthew's probably like, uh, huh? Do you, do you want my sin list? Do you want to see what I've done? Do you want to see my journals? Do you want to see how righteous I am? Is, is there a correct currency that I could give you to follow you? And Jesus requires nothing. He requires nothing. Now this is to get into the kingdom. This is to be his son, be his daughter, have his favor, be righteous before him, be right with God. He requires nothing. Matthew's so excited, he has this party, invites all of his tax collector friends, and they're all coming over. But man, do we have a hard time getting this whole nothing concept. Even when you invite someone over to your house. I invite people over to my house. They're like, what should I bring? I'm like, nothing. Nothing. In Michigan, they bring like a bag of chips. You're like, oh, thank you for this half-eaten bag of chips. Uh, here, people will bring a Moscato or something uh, and a nice, a nice dessert. Right, they bring something from Dolce de Leche, shout out, uh, and it's so good, and it's so expensive. I'm like, what, what, what happened here? I thought you were supposed to bring nothing. They're like, I had to bring something. This is who we are. I have to bring something to the table, don't I? Can I just exist here with nothing? Jesus is saying, I, I don't want you to bring anything. I want you to stop manufacturing your own righteousness because there's no such thing. And I get it. Like, that's how the Old Covenant, the Old Testament worked. But that wasn't God's ultimate plan. Jesus comes in, and there's a big old butt right in the middle of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus becomes the ultimate fulfillment of the plan where he is your righteousness. He dies for you, he resurrects, and every man, woman, and child on this planet can become his son or daughter in right standing before him by bringing nothing. Nothing. For me, this is a game changer. And if you walked outside right now, just go outside, take a random poll. Ask people, why are you not at church? I mean, some people just don't want to come to church. Like, Christians are weird. Okay, that's, that's one section of people. But there's a, an entire other section of people who want to come to church, but what do they say to you? 
I'm in this relationship right now. I shouldn't be in it. Uh, so let me, let me take care of that before I go to church. Uh, I've been drinking a lot. Uh, so let me take care of that before I go to church. Uh, I have this sin. I have this closet thing. I, I'm j- I just, I shouldn't go to church. And that's because we as the church have flipped it for everybody. We require righteousness to sit at the table of Jesus. And people feel that. The culture, the city, they feel that. Uh, let's, let's go back to this metaphor one more time that Jesus says. Um, he says, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, he flips it. He flips it. He's like, y'all are acting crazy. Right? Because, because if you're sick, if you're sick and you tell me you're sick, I'm going to tell you, let's go to the hospital. You're not going to tell me, look, look, uh, pastor, I, I don't want to go to the hospital right now. I need to get better, and then I need to go to the ER. I need 12 medicines. Let's try a bunch of things out. And then when I'm finally well, when I'm finally rid of this flu, rid of this thing, then I can go to the ER. I'd smack you across. No, what, come on. What do you mean? That's backwards. You flipped it. I mean, doesn't that, doesn't that sound crazy? Jesus puts this metaphor out here. It's like, you, you guys sound crazy. You can't, get, you can't get well and then go to the hospital. You can't get well and then come to Jesus. You can't get righteous and then come to Jesus. He said, I didn't come for those people. I came for the sinners. All of these people. See, we put these sinners in this category. We think that the sinners are the people who are out there shaking their fists at God and they're jacking cars in the the New Testament here. And that's just not what's going on. These people are just people that are not following these rules. Jesus says, I'm going to sit with them. I'm going to eat with them. I'm going to love them. And you can come to my table anytime you want as long as you're not too righteous for Jesus. I love the scandal. I love the scandal. I've had pastors call me up like, should I preach this week? I said, why? Why wouldn't you? It's Thursday. Well, I sinned. I'm not talking about like they committed adultery or something. I'm not talking about something that would kind of disqualify them from, from you know, th- their situation. They, they, but they sinned that week. And I'm like, are you not sinning the other weeks? <laughs> like, is there something I don't know here? Are you just living free and clear from sin the other week? I, I just don't. And what they're saying is, can I get right before I go talk about Jesus? Should I get right before I go talk about Jesus? No, bring your mess. That's the whole point. Soak yourself in the grace of Jesus. Stand up there and light yourself on fire. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of the gospel is that you can't earn it. It's not earnable. You can't manufacture your righteousness. You're right with Godness. Um, here is what I think, and this is not up there, but I, I want to try to say it a couple times so you guys uh, really let it sink in. Here's what I think the formula is right now in the American church. I think it's the greatest heresy uh, in the American church, and it's by righteousness through faith that we are saved. By righteousness through faith that we are saved. In other words, if I can manufacture enough righteousness and I have faith in Jesus, then I'm going to get the really big mansion in heaven. Uh, then God is going to bless my life. He's going to bless it here. Uh, I'm going to be taken care of financially, and I'm going to be taken care of eternally. That's, that's what we think. That's a heresy. It's a false gospel. And you may be living in that, in that, in that heresy, in that, in that false gospel. Let me, let me bring up a critical verse for your faith. Hopefully this is something that you memorize. If this is what you struggle with, and this is what we all struggle with from time to time, but if this is what you struggle with, this is, this is, this is a cornerstone. Guys, memorize this. Let this sink into your soul. For by grace, 
you have been saved through faith. Not by righteousness through faith. By grace. Do you know what grace is? It's an unmerited gift. Come on, you drop a brand new bike off at my crib? You're like, Pastor, I love you. Get around the city easier. What if I just took credit for that? Like, wow, bought this gift for myself. No. You flipped it. This is an unmerited, unearned gift. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. You didn't do anything. You brought nothing. Your hands were empty. And it's the gift of God. It ceases to be a gift the moment that you earn it. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I want to know if you believe this, okay? And I want to know if you believe this by going back to the middle school lunch table and and if if you're not on the right side of this, really dig in, like visit the prayer corner if you're on the wrong side of this. Because this is really a test of am I living by righteousness through faith or by grace through faith? Which, Which one is it? Think of it like the middle school lunch table. Remember, uh, for me in middle school, I had no hair on my legs. Um, and it seemed like everybody else had hair and mustaches by like eighth grade. But I was, I mean, it was, I was squeaky clean. I was like Mr. Mr. Clean's bald head on my legs. And, you know, I was nervous about that. And, and it, it took me to like 11th grade for my voice to come in at least a little bassy. I realize it's really raspy right now. And you're like, it's not really that bassy now. <laughs> you're not necessarily Marvin Gaye right now. Uh, that's fine, but, but I was definitely insecure about some of these things. I remember walking up to the table uh, of these people that I wanted to be with, and I'm thinking, am I caring enough? Do I have enough? Do I have what it takes to be accepted in your little kingdom? And we think, man, middle school politics are nightmarish, and I never want to go back to middle school again, and we're praying for our middle schoolers like crazy, but this is how we treat the kingdom of God. Just think about the people that we've isolated. Think about them. How about the LGBT? I mean, there's actually, I went to a conference, there's actually like, there's like 24 uh, identifications. We have isolated that entire group of people. I read an article the other day. They stood this gal up. Her name's Lauren Daigle. Uh, one of my, she's got some great worship songs, and my daughter loves her. They stood her up, and they basically asked her to condemn an entire group of people in front of the nation. And she wouldn't do it. And so we condemned her. Why? What makes, what makes us better than any of these people? Any, anybody, got, anybody got an answer? What makes your righteousness better than theirs? And this is me. What makes my righteousness? Did I earn this? Now it's, it's ceasing to be a gift, right? And we've isolated an entire community of people. And we've said either we want Christians to stand on one side or the other. Stand up here, draw a line in the sand. Either you can come to my church or you can't come to my church. This is what we do. It's exhausting. It's probably exhausting to Jesus. Uh, we isolate the poor, especially here. We isolate the poor. And we, we just assume that it's their fault. It's your fault. You didn't work hard enough. You didn't work as hard as me. I had to pull myself up by my, by my bootstraps. How come you're not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? This is our own righteousness. It's just rearing its ugly head. Politics. We isolate each other because we don't have the same politics. All of our politics need to be soaked in grace. None of us have it right. Just so we're clear, 
There's a billion issues that we all struggle with. None of us have it right. Our politics need to be soaked in grace. Um, what, what is it for you that closes your lunch table to people? Every church I go to has a different type of people that are accepted more than the other type of people. I do love City Life because we're every nation and every color in here, and we're lots of socioeconomic, but, but for sure, like, people can walk in here and they cannot feel love because we have isolated them, um, and we can get catty, and we can get divisive, and we can get, man, I just, I just wish we would know, I need the grace of Jesus so badly that there's no way I should isolate anybody else. That's how the church functions. Would you pray with me and, and really just dig in here? Um, again, the prayer corner, the communion corner, the response corner is open for you. Um, if you feel like, man, I've been judging folks, uh, and that means there's something going on in my heart. I'm, I'm reading this book right now, um, and I'll, I, t- I tell a couple people, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, but I'll, I'll recommend this concept. This concept is that uh, when your spouse has something ugly in them, it's, it's because you have it ugly in you. Your spouse is a mirror, which is deep. And anytime I try to point out Anne's faults to God, he points out my self-righteousness and said, this is, this is because of you. Son, son, you gotta, you gotta notice that. See everybody as a mirror. If you see something sinful in them, it's probably a sin in you. So let's pray for God's grace. Let's pray for his mercy this morning. God, we ask that your mercy would flow. Worship team, come up here. We ask that your grace would flow. We ask that we would be a, a, a person sinking in an ocean of grace. We would know that, we would feel that, and we would live out of that paradigm. God, if there's anything pharisaical in us, if there's anything Pharisee-like in us, would you rebuke that? Would you correct that? So that we can fall again into your grace. All across this room right now, let your Holy Spirit work. We trust you. We trust that if there's something in us, that you'll point it out. We love you in Jesus' name.